Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com. Trigger warning. Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend deals with the subject of divorce, child custody, domestic abuse, the attitude of public bodies and the family court. Some people may find the content of this episode distressing. Some episodes contain explicit language. My name is Selena. Who am I? I am white, I am black, I am brown, and I am much, much more. I'm a Christian, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Sikh, I'm a Muslim, I am Catholic, and human to the core. I am every person who did what they were supposed to do, leave and tell. I am every person who was re-abused by the system. I am every person who was disbelieved by the police before I even began to speak my truth. I am every person who faced an unaccountable family court only to be silenced by their orders. I am Anonymous Us and here are our stories. So, what do we know so far about first stage hearing corruption that many LIPs and LIP victim survivors face? Well, I would not include legal correspondence abuse here, as that is pre-hearing and not on the cusp of the first hearing. When I say first stage, that's the corruption that happens right at the start of the hearing process, just as it's about to begin and it usually happens at the hands of the other side's solicitors. We know. One of the main methods at this stage comes in the form of bundle abuse, and it's done by the opposing party corrupting your documents, if you are the LIP. There are many ways to engage in bundle corruption. Number one, they simply leave the other party's paperwork out. Number two, they make the other party's paperwork illegible, i.e., They'll photocopy them in such a way that it isn't readable. The whole of the paper will be dark grey, so the black ink can barely be seen. However, what surprises me is how the judges or the magistrates never realise that the photocopied documents that favour their case, the background seems to be whiter than white. Number three. Then, sometimes, the paperwork is in there, but it's been mislabeled on the index so it doesn't correlate to where the paperwork is in the file, making it impossible to find and refer to. Number four. Alongside incorrect page numbering, firms have also been known to not put down any page numbers. So, apart from making the LIP's paperwork hard to find, it's a great way of hiding documents that they themselves don't want to disclose to the judge. And in all the years I've been working in the family court, You name the type of bundle corruption, I've seen it. But I'm going to save those specifics for episodes to come. So, once a bundle is corrupted, the next step in the bundle abuse is to leave it to the last minute to provide the bundle to the opposing side. Again, I've known cases where bundles, well, corrupted bundles, were provided on the morning of the hearing. And on one occasion, it was actually given in the hearing. Yeah, that's right just passed across the room in front of the magistrate, who said nothing. By sending the bundles last minute, there is very little time for the LIP to read, absorb and think about it. 
Then, much time is spent trying to fix the issue of the LIP's missing documents. And looking at Anita's story, we've already seen the damage it causes, such as the stress, the panic, the fear, the emotional harm. It's designed to keep the LIP victim-survivor busy, on the back foot, in a stressed, panicked and confused state, ensuring that they remain in the most vulnerable position possible whilst taking advantage of their position. And again, this also limits the time to read the opposing party's position statements and documents. And, then, once all parties are in the hearing, all the bundle corruption and mislabeling ensures that the litigant in person's documents are not available for the judge to look at. So, when it's a one-hour hearing, judges can't readily find their stuff. And considering many judges, they can't be asked to conduct a fair and lawful hearing at the best of times, so they need no excuse to disregard the LIP stuff. And this, this bundle corruption, provides them with the perfect excuse. Now, Although the bundle will be the first step in a long line of abuses and corruptions yet to come within the hearing process, and as the hearings go on, what is to come may seem like it's far worse on surface level, but first stage abuse should not be underestimated in terms of how dangerous it can be, because it poisons the rest of the hearings and all future hearings. If everything starts off wrong-footed, it remains wrong-footed. And that is all shady law firms need. One drop of vinegar and the whole pan of milk will curdle. We know that the likes of Mr Pro Bono Barrister are in utter denial about their industry's dark and murky side. To quote him, why would law firms want to do that? What could they possibly achieve? Pardon? Was he being real? Why would they want to do that? Well, surely that's obvious. Dirty tactics, and not just dirty tactics, industry-accepted dirty tactics. They do it for the win, to complicate matters, to keep cases ongoing for as long as possible, so they can accumulate, some would say con, huge fees in the process. It is no more complicated than that. Surely that should be obvious for all to see. So, what I would say to the Mr Pro Bono barristers of the world, why are they doing it? What would they achieve isn't the main issue. Why are they able to do it? Why are they getting away with it? Why are they doing it in the first place? Surely that's the issue, that's the question to ask. Bundle abuse and bundle corruption work because it's supported. It's supported by everybody and it's seen as industry standard behaviour. And personally, I believe it's about time our judiciary start to acknowledge this as legal tactics abuse and without a doubt needs to be placed under the umbrella of post-separation abuse by proxy. Of course, the legal industry will say there's no need for the judiciary to do this. Bundle mishaps are accidents, oversights, rare occurrences by solicitors. But as I showed in my case, too many employees from the legal firm, from lead solicitors to legal PAs, paralegals, training solicitors, were part of my bundle's collation. And it was the same with Anita, the same with Sally. It is not just one man in a smoky office on the wrong side of the tracks. And then, it wasn't a one-off mistake, because it happens in multiple hearings. It happened in all 11 of mine. 
And finally, the vast number of litigants that are reporting that they are or have been the victim of bundle corruption. So please, can we at least admit it's a common problem that's widespread? I refuse to accept the kind of excuses that Mr Pro Bono Barrister comes up with and I challenge his perception at every stage, every time we have this conversation. And when we finally get to a point where he cannot keep insisting that bundle abuse is just one of these one-off honest mistakes, he'll then try and convince me solicitors don't represent an entire industry. And he's right. It's true. There are many facets to the family law industry and therefore it's important to note that a bundle goes through too many people and not just in the family law firm but within the industry as a whole. A family law firm is not acting in a vacuum regarding the entire process. They are only a part of it and one cog in a whole wheel. So let's park up solicitors collating the bundle for just one moment. And let's look at the rest of the wheel of what I would call industry standard. Let me tell you my story and what the industry standard bundle abuse became for me. Like Anita, I also received the bundle from the opposing solicitors firm at the last minute. It was about 4.45pm, two days before the hearing. And the moment I opened it, There it was, or should I say there it wasn't. All my stuff was missing. It wasn't even in the index, it had been completely left out. So immediately there was that instantaneous dread where my soul left my body and all my resolve kept thinking was, how much more can this firm put me through? Unlike Anita, they didn't put me through any extra stunts to stress me out, like asking me to send my documents in a different format but that didn't for one minute lessen the effect. And anxious and panicked, I couldn't really read or take on board what else was in the bundle. It wasn't even a consideration, because I needed to sort the bundle out and get my documents added. So much had happened to me in terms of post-separation legal abuse by proxy that a big part of me thought, do you know what? Leave it. Let the judge see what they are doing. That would show them. That would get them into trouble and allow the truth to come tumbling out for all to see. But this inner survival instinct was saying otherwise. Having done my research online regarding other people's experiences, I knew I shouldn't leave it to chance. Actually, no, not shouldn't. I couldn't leave it to chance because it could or would be used against me. What would I say to the judgistrate if he or she asked me, Well, when you realised your documents were missing from the bundle, did you inform them, give them a chance to rectify it? Well, why not? And what would I say? No, no, Your Honour, despite everything, I just sat there and did nothing. (sighs) So, with a heavy heart, I set about trying to fix the bundle and have my documents added in. And if I couldn't manage it, then at least the judge wouldn't be able to say anything, see me as this bitter bitch setting up a poor law firm for an innocent mistake. The first thing I did was to email the opposing legal firm. As I said before, if it was an honest mistake, 
and they were an above-board type of global mid-to-top-tier law firm, then surely they would fix it. If a whole department wasn't involved, they would fix it. And the person whose honest mistake this was would be mortified that this even happened and apologise for the error. And then the firm would ensure the correct changes were made moving forward so this never happens again to anybody. So, once the email was sent, I waited for a response. But how long did I wait, considering the hearing was only two days away and without a doubt this was a matter of urgency because by now it was 5.30pm. From previous correspondence and emails, I kind of guessed they probably worked until 6pm. But what were the chances of them dealing with it within those 30 minutes? And in truth, could this really wait until the morning? No, it couldn't. I realised the best thing I could do in that moment was to call and see if there was anyone who could speak to me in person. I rang and got through to the main receptionist. She asked who I wanted to speak to and I informed her to put me through to anyone in the law department. And although she didn't ask me what my call was about, I still found myself obediently telling her that it regarded my bundle and I told her who I was and that it was urgent as the hearing was now only two days away. I was hoping that once she heard my story, she'd ensure that she'd find someone for me to speak to, anyone. And with that, she put me on hold. A minute passed, then two. I never knew how long a minute or two could feel, especially when you're all over the place, your mind is racing, your heart is trying to smash out of your chest. But with every moment I was on hold, I couldn't help but imagine... What was happening in the department at the legal firm? On hearing it was me on the phone, were they properly shitting themselves, trying to come up with a story? It was obvious they weren't expecting me to ring. They probably thought I would just take it, because up until then, they had got away with everything. Had my call set the cat amongst the pigeons? After another minute or so, the receptionist came back on and said, Sorry, but no one's available they'll call you back and put the phone down before I got the chance to say no. This is urgent. I need to speak to someone now. And you won't be surprised to hear that no one called me back. Now what? The following day was the only day I had to sort this out. I couldn't leave it there. I had to do more. I went on the legal firm's website and spent the evening emailing anyone I could think of regarding this senior partners, heads of different departments and anyone connected to the family law department. Hopefully, as soon as they logged on in the morning, my email would be the first one that they saw. The following day, I rang again and was told no one could talk to me, but someone would call me back. And not only did no one call me back, but I got no return emails from everyone I had contacted. In the meantime, I had been trying to call the courts. But, as always, I couldn't get through. I'd also try to email them, but nothing. However, I kept trying to call in the hope that I might get through. Thankfully, about lunchtime, hope paid off. Someone answered. I swiftly explained what had happened to the bundle, to which the person on the other end of the phone suggested I call the law firm to inform them of their mistake. Oh yes, mistake. To which I told her I'd already tried that, I also tried to explain some of the previous incidents of abuse with the legal firm, 
so she would have a better understanding of the situation. So no, it wasn't going to be as easy as letting them know. And, apart from, um, well, um, there was nothing else. No, thank you for letting us know. We'll get in touch with the law firm now and let them know of their mistake. Send us your documents now and we'll add them to the bundle. We'll fix this. The things and the reactions you would expect if this was a one-off mistake and not common practice. But the person on the other end didn't seem at all that bothered or surprised for that matter. This wasn't the first time she was hearing this. So that meant this stuff was common practice. And then, as casual as anything, she said, just bring them in on the day then. Is that it? Bring it in on the day? On top of everything else? On top of the panic and the worry? Now do you understand why we bring suitcases and shopping trolleys? And then, before I put the phone down, I quickly asked, had my bundle at least arrived at the court? And whoever received it, checked it, filed it, surely would have seen my stuff was missing. But the person I was speaking to didn't seem to know. All I got was, I don't know, I have to see. And with a promise to call me back, politely ended the call. Once I got off the phone, shocked that this didn't seem to faze them, nothing was filling me with the belief that this bundle corruption would be okay. I had one last person I could try. The barrister. Her name was on the documents. As the person doing the actual advocating on the day, the bundle would have had to go through the barrister with enough time for them to look at it and mount their argument. And if that was the case, by now, she should have already had it, read it and known my stuff was missing or corrupted. Any decent barrister would have picked it up, surely. Then would have called the solicitor's firm and said, the litigants' documents are missing, could you send them to me, please? And, if they hadn't realised the other side's documents were missing, surely, once my email had informed her, then again, as a decent barrister, she would call the solicitor's firm and say, I've just had this email. It seems like their stuff has been left off. Would you be able to get it through to me? That's what you would expect. But, it came as no surprise that the barrister did not contact me back. And nor was there an apologetic call from the solicitor's firm having been informed by the barrister of their mistake. So, when I found myself at 9pm the night before the hearing, with no doubt that out of the 10 to 15 people who professionally work within the family law sector, that I had made aware of my bundle situation, I knew not one person was going to do anything to help me fix this or even acknowledge me reaching out to them. I was going to have to go to court and attend a hearing with a corrupted bundle. Surely them killing us all would have been easier. When I got to court the next day, I did my level best to tell an usher, my usher, any usher, about the bundle situation and give them my documents to either add to the bundle or give to the judge. But nothing. I was just simply told, tell the judge. Tell the judge. Does anyone in the legal sector understand what tell the judge means. It means the hearing has already begun. If a hearing gets as far as starting and the best part of 15 people, actually no, 20 if you add all the people I told that morning. So if the best part of up to 20 people 
are aware that corruption and abuse have taken place and the hearing gets as far as starting and no one has done anything, then something is seriously wrong. So as I said, please do not tell me that bundle corruption is not industry-approved standard conduct. A bundle goes through too many people's hands. Too many people are made aware of any problems that occur. And now, we get to the person or persons who are the most guilty and the most corrupt in this situation. The judges and magistrates. As a parent, let me tell you something about my children. They will get away with whatever they can if I let them. Like all children, they're not particularly naughty, but they will try it on. But it soon comes to a stop when they realise they're not going to get one over on mummy. My kids can do all the nonsense they want all day long. But I'm in charge and I'm the grown-up in the situation. And how I control that situation affects how they develop as human beings. And it's the same theory that applies to solicitors and barristers. These people can pull all the bundle stunts in the world. But if the judges did their job, bundle abuse would not be a thing. Bundle abuse happens because they get away with it time and time again. These abuses and corruptions are 100% down to the judge who has to take 100% responsibility and is 100% at fault. It's the judges and magistrates that have allowed a corrupt system to flourish, to become normalised, to become industry standard behaviour. In every single one of my 11 hearings, there was bundle abuse and bundle corruption and the legal team got away with it, which is why it kept happening. So, between two sets of magistrates and nine deputy district judges, that's 15 judgestrates all in all, 15 different human beings whose job it was to provide me with a safe and fair hearing, failed. So yes, once again, tell me, how is this not industry standard behaviour? Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com. If you are struggling with any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please go to www.IamLIP.com where you can receive further information and help. Disclaimer. The stories mentioned in this episode are fictional accounts based on and adapted from real life experiences. Due to the repetitive nature of the family court, any similarities to any other cases are purely coincidental.